We appreciate your presence tonight. You know, last week I mentioned that there were a lot of folks sniffing and sniffling and who knows what. Well, somebody blew my way. <laughs> because I've had a lot of sneezing and sniffling and whatnot. I told you I need to be in Florida. Cold weather is hard on an old man. We're going to be looking tonight at 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and the title of our lesson tonight, There is a Payday Someday. Someone has said that for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. A lot of folks understand the law of sowing and reaping in the natural realm. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that haven't made that same correlation to the spiritual realm. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. And sometimes we sow bad seed, and ultimately we reap a bad harvest. One of the, one of the great things I believe about the scriptures are the fact that they simply state the facts as they are. David is described as a man after God's own heart. And I suspect that David was the greatest king over the United Kingdom. And yet, David, like those of us living today, had his problems, weaknesses, and shortcomings. And sometimes we ask the question, how can somebody who knows what's right do that which is wrong? Sometimes we live below the knowledge we possess. David was a good man, but David made mistakes. And so when I think about somebody like David and the fact that here's a man, here's a man described as one after God's own heart, it gives me hope and inspiration because I understand that all of us have our weaknesses and shortcomings in life. I want us to look at chapters 11 and 12 in 2 Samuel. As we think about this theme, there's a payday someday. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have an account of David and his adulterous union with Bathsheba and the impending fallout that occurs over in chapter 12. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about his culpability, that is, his guilt. And there are a couple of things I want to share with you. David, of course, is in the city of Jerusalem. And the text tells us in verse 2, it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. I find it interesting that in this account, in this narrative, the writer speaks of Bathsheba not just as a beautiful woman, but as a very beautiful woman. If you were to ask me on a scale of 1 to 10, what would she have been? I would have said a 12. She must have been extremely beautiful. Very beautiful. And so David inquires about her. 
Note if you would verse 3. David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that David, unfortunately, allowed the looks of Bathsheba to seize him. He inquires about her. Who is she? But note if you would in verse 4. David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. So first his inquiry and then secondly his iniquity. David, as you well know, committed adultery with this beautiful woman, this lady. And we talk about the look that seized him, but the lust that ultimately slayed him. I can't help but think about what James said in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, many, many years ago, James said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. Lust, when it has conceived, ultimately brings forth sin. In other words, it gives birth to sin, doesn't it? Now Jesus talks about, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, looking on a woman to lust after her. I think the idea is he's not talking about somebody looking at a beautiful woman, and saying she's beautiful, she's pretty. I think what he's saying is that wrong occurs when somebody looks with the intent and says, if I have the opportunity to get with that particular woman, I'll do so. David made a fatal mistake, didn't he? But there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is his concealment. And David, to the best of his ability comes up with a plan, a plan that he believes in his own mind is going to spare him the problems that ultimately arise when he is told by Bathsheba, she sends word to him, I'm with child. Now you got to understand, in that day and time, they couldn't do a DNA test to determine who the father was of this baby of this child and so David hatches a plan and the plan is to get Uriah the Hittite her own husband to go and be with her to have as we would say sexual relations with her so that his sin would be concealed or covered up as I was thinking about this lesson one of the thoughts that kept twirling around in my mind was what if that child were born? What if that child had been born and Uriah had continued to live? And here's this little fella, and he doesn't look anything like his daddy, but he looks like the king. So in chapter 11, look if you would at verse 6. 
David sends to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. And Uriah, when he had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war prospered. And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? In other words, surely you would have gone down to spend some time with your wife. And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord, Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink, to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. That's a problem. It's a problem for David. So, got to come up with another plan. So note if you would. David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you depart. So Uriah, Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank, and the Bible says he made him drunk. You ever thought about how sin ultimately leads downward? Just It's really what we would call a cascade. Somebody's just going deeper and deeper and deeper and lower and lower and lower. At evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of our Lord, of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. So, David has tried two times to get Uriah to go and be with his wife. Uriah wouldn't do it. So, David now says, I've got to do something more drastic. And what the text tells us is that he has Uriah placed at the front line of the battle. Do you know why he did that? So he would lose his life, so he'd be killed. Why? He's trying to conceal what he's done. He's trying to hide his sin. And so, drop down if you would. I'm not going to read the whole text. But in verse 22, the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the land or in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot from the wall at your servants. Some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now I want you to listen to the response of David. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Do you think he really cared about Uriah the Hittite? You talk about cold and calculating. In David's mind, look, I've gotten away with it. I'm good to go. And so he said, strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encouraging. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. 
So David has a plan of, a plan of action. Two times David fails, the third time success. Uriah, out of the way. But there's a problem. I want you to look at verse 27 because here the writer speaks of the problem that David has. When her mourning was over, that is when Bathsheba's mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. Now note if you would. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David thinks he's good to go. Everything's okay. I've concealed what's happened. No one will be the wiser. But God knew. And what God was saying, what the Holy Spirit is revealing unto us in this text is, David had enormous problems. The enormity of his problem reflected in the fact that God was displeased with him. Is God displeased with how you're living today? Is he pleased with how you're living? You know, sometimes we talk about being in trouble. I think about as a child growing up, getting into trouble, my folks taking care of business, trying to get me back on the right track. No one ever likes trouble. Sometimes we get in trouble with our parents. Sometimes we get in trouble with a friend, a classmate, a coworker, a boss, whomever. Let me tell you what, all of that pales in comparison to being in trouble with God. God was displeased with David. And yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but what he had done was wrong. You remember what Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, remember what that says? David, as the king of Israel, was to have taken a copy of the law, written for himself a copy of that law, and read from it daily, meditating on it. One of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not commit adultery. Did David know he wasn't to commit adultery? Yes, he did. So he was living below the knowledge he possessed. So, David was in trouble. Are you in trouble with the Lord? Would the Lord say he's pleased with how you're living or would he say he is displeased with how you're living? Look at chapter 12 now. In chapter 12, we have the confrontation. First, I want you to note the man God used. God used a man by the name of Nathan, a prophet. Chapter 12, verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now imagine here you are a prophet of God, and you're going to stand before the king of Israel. And you're standing before the most powerful man in the land. And you've got to deliver a lesson to him. And that lesson is going to be very pointed. It's going to be painful. It's going to be profound. So we talk about the man God used, but note if you would, the message he used. The message God used used a parable. Here's what he said. There were two men in one city, 
one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now look at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what Nathan the prophet said to David. David, you're the man. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm not talking about another family member. I'm not talking about one of your business associates. I'm talking about you. David, you are the man. You're in the wrong here. So there's this confrontation. But note, if you would, the confession. Drop down to verse 13. In verse 13, David confesses his sin. The text says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You have to give David credit for his forthrightness. He's honest, he's candid, he's humble, isn't he? In Psalm 51, which is typically referred to as the penitential psalm, one of David's psalms, David said in light of what had occurred as recorded in 2 Samuel, David said to God against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. David had sinned against God. Yes, he had. He'd committed adultery. He had Uriah the Hittite killed on the front line of battle. He's gotten deeper and deeper and deeper in sin. And so he simply acknowledges his wrongdoing. But then note, if you would, David's cleansing from sin. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. There was forgiveness. In Psalm 32, as a matter of fact, look at Psalm 32 very quickly. David speaks of the blessings of God's forgiveness. And in Psalm 32, David speaks of acknowledging his transgression, his sin to the Lord. In Psalm 32, 1, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or charge iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Drop down, look at verse 5. In verse 5, here's what David said many, many years ago. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. David had tried to hide his iniquity, hadn't he? He had tried to conceal it, but he couldn't fool God. 
So he acknowledges his iniquity. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now listen to him. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The psalmist said many, many years ago, but there is forgiveness with you, O Lord. To know that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what we may say in life, no matter how far out of harmony we may get with the will of the Lord, we can be forgiven. David was a man after God's heart, and I think one of the things that made David such a great man was his humility, his willingness to simply acknowledge his wrongdoing. And so he did that. But I want you to look now at the consequences. The consequences that resulted from his union with Bathsheba. I want to begin by first of all talking about the fact that David, the king of Israel, faced permanent consequences. Listen, if you would, to what is said, verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping. and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now look at verse 10. We talk about for every action there is a corresponding reaction. Sometimes the consequences that result from what we have done are permanent. And we need to get this point. We need to understand that there are times when what we do will yield permanent consequences. Verse 10, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despise me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Let me just pause there for a minute. Are there things in your life that you have done in the past? Things that long ago are in your past, but you're still paying for those things today. If you answer yes, then you know what I'm talking about. There are people in the church today who have made terrible decisions in life. And those decisions have impacted their lives, as we would say, for the remainder of their lives. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. A lot of folks in our world, sometimes even in the church, people will use alcohol because they like, they like the high because they think it's fun. And sometimes they, in looking at those of us who are older, say, you know what, you're just an old prude. 
you don't know what you're talking about. What's wrong with a little bit of alcohol? Let me tell you what. There are a lot of folks in our world today that are paying a heavy price, and they will pay that price until they leave this world because they've abused alcohol. They are alcoholics. And there are people that are in their 40s and 50s and they began using alcohol at an early age as a teenager. And they have so abused their body that their liver is destroyed. They have destroyed their physical life. Killed countless brain cells. Is that a permanent consequence of sin? Yes, it is. Do you remember what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15? The way of the transgressor is what? It's not easy. He said the way of the transgressor is hard. You choose to go out and drink and rip and run and act like a crazy person, let me tell you what, you're going to pay a heavy price for it. There are others that have chosen to use marijuana, pot. What's wrong with smoking a little bit of pot? Everybody does it. Well, pot is a gateway drug. A lot of folks start with pot, and before you know it, they're doing a lot of other stuff, aren't they? Sure they are. And there are people in the church and out of the church that use any number of chemical substances. They use drugs to get high. And there are some people that will go to their grave an addict. Let me tell you what, you'll never have a problem with something you don't try in the realm of alcohol and drugs. A lot of folks have the idea it'll never, it will never affect me, won't be a problem to me. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people that had that attitude. And it's a problem. Problem then, problem now. All I'm trying to do is say, look, I can save you a lot of heartache. And save you a lot of hurt in your life. We've got a lot of young folks here. One day, you're going to meet the right person and you're going to get married. And my prayer for you would be that you would find just the right young man, young woman, young lady. The two of you would begin a life in the Lord together that you would Build your home on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I'd encourage you to build on the Lord. I would encourage you to marry a Christian. Somebody says, well, I didn't marry a Christian. Everything turned out all right for me. Well, look, that may be the case, and God bless you if you did. It may be the case that your believing spouse led you to Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. But if you have the opportunity... And let me tell you what, there are a lot of good Christian girls out there. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of good Christian young men out there. You find just the right person that has the same wants, desires, aspirations as you. You find somebody that, spiritually speaking, you're on the same plane, and you've got somebody for life. Amos asked many years ago, can two walk together except they be agreed? You marry somebody outside the body of Christ and they're pushing one way, you're pushing another way, and guess what? It's not going to work. You're going to have trouble. going to be heartache, going to be a lot of pain. I can save you a lot of trouble. Marry a Christian. And look, you marry a Christian, I'm not saying it's going to be a bed of roses. 
but at least you're working together. Well, why do I bring up marriage? Well, one reason is because there are a whole lot of people in our country today that are divorced. There are a lot of folks in the church that are divorced. And we talk about permanent consequences. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. You remember he was asked on one occasion, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus answered that question with a question. He asked, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, listen to him, let not man put asunder. God's design for the home, one man, one woman, for life. And by the way, marriage is between a man and a woman, not two men, not two women. It's what God said. Somebody has a problem with it, take it up with the Lord. It's what he said. Well, they asked the question, why then did Moses give command to give a writing of divorce, to put her away. And Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered, allowed, permitted you to put away your wife. He said, but from the beginning it hath not been so. Now I want you to listen to what he says in verse 9, Matthew chapter 19. Matter of fact, let me just get you to turn with me and read it. I want you to see it in black and white. Don't take my word for it, let's just... Look at what Jesus said. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 19, I want you to think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 18. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. God the Father said, speaking of Christ, that we are to hear him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, here's what Jesus said. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except it be, now some translations say sexual immorality. It's a bad translation. It ought to say, except it be for fornication, and marrieth another. Listen to him. Commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. What's Jesus saying there? What Jesus is saying one man, one woman for life. If you're married to somebody and your spouse commits adultery, then you are free. You have the right but not the obligation to put that mate away, that unfaithful party. You being the innocent party have the right to remarry. The guilty party, not so. The guilty party does not have the right to remarry. So let's just say we've got a couple out here and they've been living together for four or five years as a man, as man and wife and they decide, you know what, we don't love each other anymore and we're not what we used to be and she's gone this way and I've gone this way or whatever. So we're going to get a divorce. And then maybe I'll meet, maybe I'll meet my soulmate. Maybe I'll find just the right person to spend the entirety of my days with. You can do that. You can get married again. But in the eyes of God, you're still married. 
you go out and get in another marriage, you're living in adultery. That's not what I said. That's what Jesus said. Listen again to what Jesus said. We need to understand what he said because we talk about the permanent consequences. David faced some permanent consequences. Somebody says, you mean to tell me that if I get a divorce because we don't love each other anymore or because of this problem or that problem it had nothing to do with sexual infidelity, you're telling me that I've got to remain single for the, for the rest of my life? That's exactly what I'm telling you if you want to go to heaven. That's why you need to make absolutely sure that the person you marry is the person you plan to spend your life with. Listen to Jesus, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery. Now somebody asked me, what does that mean? It means exactly what it said. Well, what does it mean? It means exactly what it said. If you don't understand that, look, you'll make it on a baby's ticket. Anybody can understand what the Lord said on the matter. So, is Jesus saying we better be very careful when we enter into marriage? You better believe he is. Now look at verse, look at verse 10. The disciples said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. In other words, they've chosen to live a celibate life because they understand that the laws of God cannot be broken or violated. Now, you might want to reunite with that mate. That'd be the best thing. Permanent consequences of a sinful life. That's just one consequence. A lot of different examples could be given. I'm just saying, look, that's, that is a major, major example. That's why it's so important for us to make sure we choose the right mate. And look, I understand how people get out here and they get in trouble. Maybe they married somebody that has all kinds of problems. They're abusive physically, verbally, whatever. They drink, they act like a fool, they won't work, etc. Look, I understand. But I don't have the right to circumvent the teaching of Christ. And by the way, I want you to know that what I'm talking about here is very personal with me. Somebody says, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do understand. I understand exactly what I'm saying. Because I have family members in this very predicament. I'm not going to water it down for anybody. Look, the law of the Lord is the law of the Lord. Hosea said the word of the Lord is right. God's ways are right. People may not like it. Doesn't change the truth, does it? Not one bit. Now, go back very quickly and look at 2 Samuel again. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, first, David faced permanent consequences. Secondly, David faced painful consequences. Look at verse 11. 
Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. What are you saying? David's going to have a lot of pain and misery in his life. And you can look at his own son Absalom. Remember Absalom? Tried to pull a coup, undermining, steal the kingdom from him. His own flesh and blood tried to do that. David suffered a lot of pain because of what he, because of what he had done. Again, listen to what Solomon said. The way of the transgressor is hard. There are things that you can do in this life because of the very nature of what you're doing can bring you enormous pain and suffering. I mentioned a moment ago the marital relationship. I used to think when I was just a young fella that marriage was just between two people and if two people got divorced it only affected those two people. I was wrong. When people get divorced it's like taking a rock standing at the side of a side of a river. Throwing that rock out into the water and watching it just ripple. Children are affected. Grandchildren are affected. Brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers. Look, all kinds of pain. I promise you, it's out there. Third thing, very quickly. David faced public consequences. Well, I mentioned his pain. Drop down very quickly and look at verse 15. Then I want to talk about the public consequences. Verse 15, Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became very ill. Now, the Bible tells us a little bit later that this child died. And you can read the text, and you can read the pain that David experienced. Broke his heart. But then thirdly, the public consequences. Look at verse 12. Nathan said, for you did it secretly. That is what you've done with Bathsheba. That was in secret. That was behind closed doors. He said, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. What are you saying, God? I'm saying, I'm going to make it public. There is a lot of shame associated with sin sometimes, isn't there? And sometimes we talk about people that have gotten caught up in a way of life, they've gotten caught up in a lifestyle, and the hurt, the pain, the misery, the consequences that they face, enormous. Sometimes we become a public spectacle. Everybody knows about it. You remember... You remember back in the 90s when one of our presidents was said to have had a sexual relationship with an intern? I remember watching him on television in the White House, and he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Well, guess what? Yes, he did. And it became public. If he had only had the humility to acknowledge what he had done, people would have forgiven him. But he lied about it. And it became a shame and a disgrace, not just to him, but to his family. That's what sin does. Sin destroys the lives of people. 
So I want to close by saying there's a payday someday. You may think in your heart of hearts, in your mind, that you can do whatever you want to do. You can live how you want to live and that there are no consequences. Go on. If that's what you want to think, that's fine. But I'm here to tell you it's not the truth. It's what the devil's saying. If David could stand before us today, here's what David would say. Let me tell you what. You better understand there's a payday someday. You better understand that for every action, there's a corresponding reaction. So, let me sum it up like this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul said, The wages of sin is death. You live in sin, you choose to live that way, God said, you'll pay for it. There's a payday. But he said, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's an alternate lifestyle you can choose. You can choose to live for the Lord. You can choose to obey him. So I ask you tonight, are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? If you do not, if you do not have the Lord in your life, you need him badly. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would repent of your sins, confess his name, and be buried with him in baptism, the Bible tells us God will wash away every single sin, Acts 22, 16. And if you're faithful till death, you'll have the crown of life. I mentioned a moment ago, permanent consequences. We can be forgiven of any and all sin. God will forgive us. But sometimes there are consequences. Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer. Obeyed the gospel in prison. Became a New Testament Christian. Just because he became a Christian didn't mean he could be a free man and just walk the streets anymore. He had to pay for his crime, didn't he? Payday someday. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, I encourage you to come to Christ. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.